many of you have ever seen the animated movie Inside Out? Anyone? Well, it's a really cute little animated film. It's a Disney film, and I watched it with my great-grandkids recently, Ariana and Jaden, and the movie's mainly set in the mind of a little 11-year-old girl. Her name is Riley. And Riley has suddenly experienced a major change in her life. And she has no control over that change. Have you ever been there? Well, her family just moved from Minnesota to San Francisco. And Riley is finding herself dealing with all the emotions regarding this move. And I have a little image up here that we're going to show you. And these are the characters that represent Riley's emotions. So over here, we have sadness on the end on the left-hand side. Then we have, what do you think? Joy. Then we have anger. Then we have disgust. Then we have fear or intimidation. And so in, in this movie, Riley's emotions, they're all conflicted with each other. And as we know, the battle is in the mind. And she's battling in her mind and in her emotions. And, you know, I was just thinking so much about how that happens to us in everyday life. Well, we have to battle emotions. We have to battle in the mind. And, you know, there's only one thing that divides between the soul and the spirit, and that is the word of God. Hallelujah. And we've got the word here. Thank God for it. Because it divides between those emotions and helps you to recognize what is truth and what is false. Amen? Amen? You know, I was recently confronted with a situation. It's the kind that, you know, suddenly shows up. <laughs> and all the information I was receiving about it was coming from one source. And that one source, they were understandably communicating through their own perspective. And they were very emotional about it. So, you know, if you hear somebody's emotions and it stirs up your emotions, you have to do something. You have to stop and say, wait a minute. Wait a minute here. I have to get a perspective that's God's perspective and not what I'm hearing and not what I'm feeling. Amen? And so I felt like Riley in the movie. I mean, my emotions were all conflicted. So in order to manage my emotions and not have my emotions manage me, I needed to stop. I needed to pull myself away from the thoughts with the worst case scenario. Amen? Amen. Isn't that funny how it always comes to us that way? And if you start playing it out, you know, that thought becomes an imagination. And then that imagination becomes a stronghold. So you got to do something with those thoughts. I mean, on the onset, you've got to take authority over them. You've got to cast them down in the name of Jesus. And then you've got to replace them with truth. And so what happened is, first of all, one thing that I know that really helps me is to just take a time out when I'm feeling really emotional about something. And so the way that I like to take a time out is to go outside and water my plants. And just get in the sun and let the sun kiss my face. And there's something about it for me that calms me. 
And, and sometimes we just need to calm our physical being because your adrenaline can start going and all these other things start happening physically as well as emotionally. So I go outside and I water a little bit and I calm myself and then I come back in and I'm ready to be seated. And the thing that helps me the most is to be seated and to open the word of God. And allow God to speak to me. Allow God to speak to my heart. So that I can get his perspective. And not my own. And not others. And not the devil's. Amen. And so, you know, I take that time out and do that. I don't know what works for you. But that, you know, that's what works for me. So find what works for you. What calms you. What helps you. So that you could be seated in God's presence and receive from him. And so I was there and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And Lord, I just petition heaven right now. I need wisdom. I need insight. I need to know what to do. And so I took my Bible and I opened it up. And I always have several bookmarks, but I, my eye went to this one bookmark. And I thought, okay, I'm going to start there. So I opened the book, and it was Micah, chapter 8. And I started reading, and I read down. And I got to verse 8, and verse 8 says this. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So when I'm reading, I tend to see things in threes. And so as I was reading down in Micah chapter uh, 6, I, all of a sudden I began to see those three things. Okay, I know God's having a conversation with me now. He's saying to do justly. He's saying to love mercy. And he's saying to walk humbly with God. So God was telling me he was requiring that of me in this situation. Not to be emotional, but to walk with him in these three things. And so what I did is I went ahead, since he said he's requiring this of me, I want to know what the word require means. So I, you know, I have a general idea, but I wanted to look it up. I felt led to do that. So if a, if a word jumps out at you, follow it. Because God will speak to you through it. So I looked it up and it said that require is needed for a particular purpose. It's to ask for by right or authority. To demand as necessary or essential. Well, there's that word again. Have you... Um, uh, excuse me. We printed my notes out before service and the notes wouldn't print out and they printed out back to back. And so I just got uh, back on the first page. So here we go. So it means a compelling need for something like you need food. That's a need. It's a compelling need. And, you know, this language is strong. This is strong language that you need to do this. It's like food. So a requirement is not a suggestion. 
If you are required as a carpenter or a mechanic to have certain tools for a job, you know what? If you show up without those tools, you're not going to be able to work and do very much, are you? They're required. I mean, you can't build a house with just a hammer. You have to bring what is necessary, what is required. I mean, you might be able to do a few things, but you're not going to do anything mighty. And you know, there's mighty works to be done. There's mighty works to be done in the kingdom, family. Mighty works. And these things are works that are bigger than our own hands. And anytime you're doing something bigger than your own hands, you need to be equipped to do it. And God says he will equip us. And so, you know, Jesus himself, he could do no mighty works even in his hometown. Why? Because of their lack of belief, their lack of faith. He said, you know, um, it's required. And if even Jesus could do no mighty works in his own hometown because of their unbelief, how much more? Amen? So faith is required. Now, God can move sovereignly. We all know that. And he does. But if you want to move the hand of God, faith is required. It's essential. You know, by faith, we understand that even the world was framed by the word of God. So let's go back to those three things that we were talking about that jumped out at me in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justly. So the definition of justly is to be in accordance with a standard. To have a just manner. To have integrity. To have honesty. To have just proportions. To be righteous. Especially in biblical things. You know, Leviticus chapter 26 verses 3 through 13 It talks about walking in his statutes. In the King James Version, chapter 3 says this. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them. So there's a walk, there's a keeping, and there's a doing. And then let's look at the voice. Chapter 3, I mean verse 3 in the voice says, If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit and their threshing will continue until grape harvest and the grape harvest will continue until planting and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant peace in your land. You know the land of your life? God wants to grant you peace in the land of your life. And you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. And I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. And you will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred will chase ten thousand. And your enemies, that's Satan and his cohorts, will fall by the sword before you. Before your eyes, you will see the salvation of the Lord. 
Verse 9 says, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And I will keep my covenant with you. And you will be still eating last year's harvest when you have to move in out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am your Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. Has anybody ever been brought out of Egypt? Yes, hallelujah. hallelujah. And you will no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of the yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. Woo! He's the glory and the lifter of our heads. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. You know, in Psalms 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the place in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law does he meditate both day and night. And what will happen when you do that? It says you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Who's, who, who brings forth fruit. I want to be fruit bearing. How about you? I want to bear fruit. Much fruit. And I want my fruit to remain. And I want my fruit to bear fruit. And his leaf, it says, it shall not wither. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. That's the promises of God. Yes and amen. I like to write in my Bible, do and have. Do and have. You'll see that through my Bible. Do and have. And God's saying, if you will keep his statutes. If you will do justly. Do you know it takes a commitment to do justly? Because sometimes we want to justify things in our own arm of the flesh. We want to take the scales of justice that feel unbalanced. And we want to balance them with the arm of our flesh. But you know what? That's God's job. And if we will let him do his job, he will do it. And he will establish justice for you. He says he will establish justice for those who are oppressed. Amen? Amen. What a promise. In the voice it says about Psalms 1, God's blessing follows you and awaits you at every turn. And when you don't follow the advice of those who delight in wicked schemes, when you avoid sin's highway... When judgment and sarcasm beckon you, but you refuse, that's when you're blessed. You know, you have to take a stand. You have to say, no, I will not retaliate. Vengeance is the Lord's, and he will repay. I'm going to trust in you, Lord. I'm going to unconditionally trust in you. Some people trust the Lord with condition. 
But when you unconditionally trust the Lord and you abandon yourself and you abandon the arm of the flesh and you abandon reasoning, you abandon what you know, how you did it yesterday, how you think it should be done today. And you say, Lord, I'm petitioning heaven. I need a word. I need wisdom. I need insight. You're not going to get earthly wisdom. You're going to get wisdom that comes from the throne of grace. Amen. And so that's just a little bit about do justly. Make a commitment that you're going to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. You're going to do it God's way and not your own. So the next point was to love mercy. Love mercy. I'm telling you, it doesn't say like mercy. It doesn't say tolerate mercy. It doesn't say just be merciful. It says love mercy. Love mercy. Not judgment. Not rejoicing when unrighteousness and truth are reigning, but rejoicing when right and truth prevails. Hallelujah. Not loving judgment, but loving mercy. Proverbs 3, 3 says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Write them upon the tablet of your heart. Let them regulate your life and begin to speak of his mercies. You know, sometimes we need to speak the truth, but we need to speak the truth with the love of God. Amen? Because there's a lot of things that are true. But when you do it God's way, when you settle a matter in your heart before you confront something, you see, when you confront something, you should have the right timing to confront it. You should have the right tone. And that takes time because you have to settle it in your own heart so that, you know, you can go to another. So that it's in the right tone, in the right heart, in love, speaking the truth. So the timing, the tone, the content of what you want to say, and the tack in which you want to say it. Hallelujah. It pays rich dividends. People will hear you. If you want them to hear you, you've got to go with the right heart in the right way with the love of God speaking the truth you know I heard one minister use this phrase the Lord created justice so he could release mercy and he gave an illustration illustration about that uh, about justice and mercy and I'm going to endeavor to share that with you so there was a guy and I, I decided to call the guy Harry And Harry didn't just meet Sally, he killed Sally. So there was a guy named Harry, and he killed Sally. And there was a witness who agreed to appear in court and go before the judge and testify that Harry killed Sally. But when the judge saw Harry, he all of a sudden recognized him. I know you. I know your mother. I was very close to your mother. Hey, she is a friend of mine. Go free. Well, that's mercy, but it's not justice. And you know, Jesus sits on the mercy seat, but 
The foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. And so if he released Harry, you know, who killed Sally without justice, he would become a corrupt and crooked judge. So the challenge for the judge is to somehow create justice so he can release mercy. So Harry's mother comes up and Harry's mother says, hey, I will take Harry's place and I will go and I will die for Harry. I will pay his penalty and his guilt. But the judge looks at Harry's mother and says, oh, I'm sorry, but you too have sin in your life and you're guilty as well. And so the judge looks around and he could find no one available that was without guilt except his son. And so suddenly the son enters the courtroom and the son says, I will die for him. And the judge looks in his book, seeing if there's his name is there and he can't find the name Jesus Christ. And so he says, well, you can die for Harry because you don't owe anything for yourself. And so he did and justice was paid. So Jesus died to create justice. So then the judge could release mercy. So because he created justice by giving his son for your sins, God doesn't have to judge you. Because he judged his son for you. Jesus didn't just die for you. He died as you. God created justice through the death of a sinless son so that he could release life and mercy without being a crooked and corrupt judge. We don't need to be perfect. We just need a perfect God who loves mercy. And our God loves mercy. He's the God of all mercies. Now, in the situation I told you about at the beginning, there were some things I didn't know. And I probably should have known. And I I didn't confirm some things. You know that old saying, trust and what? Verify. And I didn't do that. And you know, I started to lament over that. And I decided I can lament over my failure or I can call upon the mercy of God in this situation. Oh, hallelujah. Have you ever been there? Mercy is everlasting and it endures forever. Mercy is new every morning. Mercy existed before our faith and it extends beyond our faith. The mercy seat sits over the law. In Psalms 85.10 it says, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Psalms 23.6, y'all know this one. Surely what? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Amen. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Mercy is following you, my family, and it's chasing you down. God's mercy, his great faithfulness will be with you every day of your life. Hallelujah. Now, the more you sow, the more you're going to reap. And I find that there's, like, I want to share just a practical example with you of something that I went through recently, too, as a testimony, where I had to walk in mercy, because I endeavor to practice mercy. You know, I want that, I want that in me that says, I love mercy. I want to flow in it. I want to practice it, just like I practice patience and any other fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Well, I had this situation where I had my e- my personal email, and my personal email I had an issue with the password. I'd forgotten it, and so I've had it for a very long time. I have lots of files. I have lots of uh, emails that I I need to access at different times, and I couldn't get in. And so I had to actually call for tech support. And when I called for tech support. They, the gal said, okay, oh yeah, I can help you. You got to do this. And so she took me down this path. And when she took me down the path, it locked me out of my email account. And when she locked me out, she goes, oh, I'm sorry. We can't get back in. I said, oh no, no, we, we need to try something else. What else can we try? Well, I'm telling you, I worked, she gave me another number to call. And then I called that number, which, oh, yes, we can help you, ma'am. I'm sorry, we can't help you, ma'am. I said, no, I will not be defeated, and I will not quit, and I will not take no for an answer. And so I had to go to another number, and to another number, and to another number. Oh, no, you have to talk to these people, and they're not there tonight. It's closed. You have to call back. So that was on a Friday night, tried on a Sunday. I can't tell you how many hours I spent. I was determined I'm getting my email back. Monday. I kid you not. I had to go through the whole thing again. This number, that number, this number, that number. And I want to say something, you guys. I had to determine that I was going to walk in love. And that I was going to talk with each and every person. With great respect and mercy. By the grace of God. Because I'm telling you, if you've ever had experience like that, I must have been at least 12 hours on the phone saving my email. And everybody that I got off the phone with, every person, I had to have at least talked to maybe 15 people. They all told me, no, I'm sorry, nothing can be done. But you know what? I had something else down here on the inside of me. I had pursue. Pursue and recover all. Now, if I didn't have that, I may not have taken that approach. But I had it in my spirit. Pursue and recover all. And I was determined I was going to stick with it. I was not going to be defeated. I was not going to quit. And I was not going to take no for an answer. And I was going to do it with the love of God. And so finally, I get this guy, and he says, I can help you. And 
he explained to me what I needed to do. And we set it up and I recovered all. But I had to practice exactly this. Loving mercy. Because it's easy to have mercy when you feel like it. It's easy to have mercy when compassion's flowing in you. But when you're frustrated and you're angry and you feel like Riley and all your emotions are going all over the place. Man, I needed more than one time out. (laughs) But I recovered all and I was so happy about that and so blessed. And so there's many voices out there that are going to demand your attention. You know, lots of voices. We've just come through this pandemic. We're coming through. We're on the other side in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you didn't just survive, you thrived? Amen. Whether you felt like it or not, you were thriving. Hallelujah. Well, there's many voices, and I'm telling you, if you're not careful, you'll be persuaded by a voice that is not the voice of God. And so we have to go back to God's standards to do justly, to live in his statutes, to do all that is required of us by the, from the word and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? He requires us to walk in accordance with the scriptures. And what he says, amen? If he says, do it, do it. If he says, build the boat on dry ground, build the boat on dry ground. Does it make sense to your mind? No, it doesn't. Is there any logic in it? No, there's not. Does it make sense for the leopard to go dip in a filthy Jordan River to be cleansed? No, it doesn't. Does it make sense to speak to the fig tree and curse it from its roots and then watch it die? No, it doesn't. But these are the spiritual laws, the spiritual principles that we're to operate by. Amen? And if we do, then we can have what they say. So, to do justly. How can I do justly? By walking in the statutes. To love mercy. How can I love mercy? We love with the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen? And because I love God, I want to do what pleases Him. Because I love God, I want to do for his good pleasure, his satisfaction, until he's delighted. You know, when my love falls short, and it will, it does. We have human love. When our love falls short, his love can take over. When my love is, comes to an end, God's love never comes to an end. It never fails, the love of God. And so, when your reservoir is empty, go to God and ask for rain. Lord, send the rain. Send the rain. And he'll fill you up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just ask him to do it. So that brings us to the third and final point, to walk humbly. By not walking in another path, we're walking humbly. Because you know there's a way that seems right, as we've been talking about. There's reasoning, there's logic, there's your emotions, your will, you know? And if we resist God's path and God's way, 
of being and doing right. His thoughts, you know, are higher than our thoughts. And his ways are higher than our ways. And if we resist that, God says he resists the proud. But he does what? He gives grace unto the humble. And so when we come and say, okay, Lord, I don't know it all. And I'm going to humble myself under your mighty hand and under your word, even if it doesn't make sense, even if I don't feel like it, even if I don't feel it. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's humility. You know, Jesus humbled himself. And he wasn't just like God, he was God. And he humbled himself. You know, that's such an example for us. To walk in that place of humility, one with another, with the Father first, and with one another, walking in humility, because he says he'll give you grace to do it. So if you're resisting and you want to do it your way, guess what way that is? It's the hard way. Your way is the hard way. And it's just going to feel like you're walking through mud. But if you do it his way, you can even have the circumstances remaining. But guess what? You'll be above and not beneath. And there's a difference. It's a different position. When you're standing above that which is happening in your life, and not beneath it. And so that's the grace of God. The grace of God helps you to do things with an ease. So you've heard this example before. I've given it to you. Where if I leave my house, I I live up on the hill, and I come down, and I come through the traffic, and I hit every red light, guess what? I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be stressed out. It's going to make me late. But if I come down the hill and there's no traffic and there's green lights, whoo, glory to God. That's the grace of God. So I still have to travel the distance, but it's with an ease. And that's what we want. Amen, family? Because we're not promised not to have problems. Jesus said in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Trials, stress. But guess what? He's overcome. He says rejoice. Take courage. Yes, he did. Take cheer, he said. That's encouragement. Be encouraged. Encouragement inspires courage to keep going when you want to quit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And so, you know, I was thinking about um, somebody in the Bible who... I see as a person who really displayed the grace of God in his life to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before the Lord. And that person was Joseph. Joseph did exactly that. I mean, here's somebody who had the favor of God on his life, who was so beloved by his father that it made his brothers jealous, right? And his family betrayed him, threw him in a hole, sold him not, he was sold not just once, but twice as a slave, right? And then he finally gets in a place, I mean, no matter where he lands, he's going to come up on his feet because God saw to it. So he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and he was thrown into prison, but he comes up to the cream of the crop. 
And then, you know, the story goes how he had to endure so much. But even in prison, the scripture says God was with him. And again, when you feel like you're in prison, it's good to know God is with you. And he will steady you. And that grace we were just talking about comes on you. And that grace came on him. And no matter what he did, no matter how he was persecuted, no matter what he did, he prospered. And he rose to the top. And in due time, you see, he kept his heart right. He kept his heart honoring. He did justly. I mean, he could have had his way of Potiphar's wife, but no, it was not righteous. It was not in line with God's uh, ways and his statutes and his standards and his word. Amen? Amen. So he kept himself in the love of God. He kept himself in the mercy of God. And Joseph, he was restrained from sin. He was redeemed from sorrow. He was restored to honor. And in due time, when you're going through the valley of Baca, I want you to know that by the grace and the mercy of God, God will restore your heart. He will restore your soul. He will restore your life. He will repair the breach. Whatever it is, he will make a peaceable habitation for you. Glory to God. And so, thank you, Lord. You know, I was reading in, in Romans 8, 28. Don't you love that passage of scripture? Well, in the Passion Translation, it says this. And I was even thinking, you know, about how God covers my situation. He covers your situations. You know, we pray for you. We pray with the heartfelt prayers. And we petition heaven on your behalf. And I love this passage of scripture as we close. So we are conceived that every detail of our lives is conditionally woven together for good. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. Are we convinced of that? It says we can be convinced that every detail of our life, God will take ashes and make them beautiful. He will bring good when it doesn't seem possible. He will turn it around for you. And he'll lift you up out of the valley of Baca. And when you come out of that valley, you're going to make it a spring. And a spring is not just for you. A spring is for others. So that you can bring the life of God. You can bring justice. You can bring mercy. You can bring humility to others. Amen. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We just give you praise that you settle it in each heart and you speak to each one just what you want them to hear. And I pray for that spirit of encouragement to just rest upon them and lift them and help them. And oh, how I give you praise for that tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus.